0: All right, Pete Giuliano, it's Saturday, June 13th, 2015, and I know the number now because you and I consulted on this, so we're not even going to feign this whole thing. <laughs> this is I'm going to say it okay. this time, it's Solder Smoke 177, is that right? That's correct. All right, here we are. All right, Pete, good to see you. You're very early. I want everybody to know that, uh, that Pete has made a big sacrifice, got up early, early this morning. i got all kinds of things to do today. Busy schedule, and have got a ham fest tomorrow, so I uh, might actually head out to the Manassas Ham Fest tomorrow, but uh, we, had to, we had to juggle our schedules, but uh, thanks very much, Pete, for, for, for joining us today.
1: Good, good thing I don't live in Hawaii. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: You know, and i got to say, I want to open the show by saying it's an especially great honor uh, this month to have, have Pete with us, and I it's really, I'm, 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 I'm really... But kind of almost embarrassed to ask him to get up early in the morning, because Pete Giuliano is now a member of the QRP ARCI Hall of Fame. And <laughs> yeah, he's gonna now he's gonna get all this. He's gonna gonna say, oh, you know, I didn't. I don't know why I was selected. I'm so honored. There's so many other people more deserving. Hey, look, Pete, enjoy it because I certainly am enjoying it, and I know all of our listeners are enjoying it too. Now I'm gonna share with everybody a little story when I. When I when I heard this news, I was it was really great, and I, I was reminded I, perhaps because Pete and I have been talking about things Italian, and uh, every once in a while Pete's anta- Italian ancestry comes up on the show, you know. And I lived in Italy for the three years, so we have a lot to talk about in this area. But I was instantly reminded when I heard about Pete's selection of the scene. There's a movie, a really iconic kind of gangster movie ah. called it's Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> no? I'm not casting dispersions
1: here, no, no, no.
0: But, but it's a movie. It's about Italians and people of Irish descent in New York City, and uh, it's actually based on a on a true story, uh, Henry Hill. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but the scene that I was that, that came to mind when I heard about this was in the movie. There's a scene where Tommy, the the only Italian guy, Italian American guy in the trio, is selected as a full member, a made man in the real mafia, right? And they show the reaction, the reaction of the, uh, of the friends when this happens. And, um, anyway, they're, they're like, oh, they're overjoyed. This is like the, uh, the the real, the real happy moment for them. And like, wow, it's almost like the whole team got pulled in. So, Pete, that, that's how I kind of felt when this happened, so congratulations. Well, well,
1: thank you very much, Bill. And, and, I'm, and I hope, I'm going to say, uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, I'm amazed and I'm in awe that I got selected. There are a lot of people out there doing a lot for our hobby that I hope one day their recognition comes as well.
0: Well, And I, and I hope you don't get whacked like oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was, that. yeah. I thought that went through my mind. You know, he didn't actually quite become a made man. No <laughs>
0: remarkably close. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Maybe I'll have to post maybe I'll post a link to the clip. Yeah, yeah,
1: there you go. There you go.
0: But anyway, thanks. Congratulations, Thank you. you know, I I gotta say I was I for me, the, the wisdom of this selection was reinforced just yesterday. I had to take uh, Maria to an appointment, my daughter, and, and I as I was leaving, as I usually do, I just reach into the big pile of, of magazines and I grabbed a couple. And I happened to grab a couple of issues of QRP Quarterly. And just, just by chance, the, the first one uh, of, of the two was the spring 2010 issue of QRP Quarterly. And right there on the front cover, Mimics do the work in N6QW's QRP SSB transceiver. All right, that was the first one. These, these are the radio gods have spoken here, Pete. They're telling us that this was a very wise selection. The very next issue I'm looking at is the winter 2012 edition, and I look down, N6QW's DC receiver uses new dual-gate MOSFETs. So there you have it. I mean, that's just two examples of the many articles you've done for QRP Quarterly, all the all great work, all the encouragement. We are we are really lucky. To have <laughs>
1: you.
0: Anyway, thank you. I'm
1: really lucky some of those radios work. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well I, I read the book The
0: one, and you started off with the description of how every 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 homebrew ham radio operator has two boxes: one with the rigs that worked, and one with the rigs that didn't work.
1: And, and what did I say about the size of the piles? The size of the, you know, the, the, the <laughs> there's
0: a disproportion there. Yeah, yeah, there's an imbalance. But anyway, um, hey, uh, that brings us today's to one. The first thing we want to talk about, which is the bench report. And uh, we have things to report here, and I'm going to call this segment Bicoastal, Bilateral, Termination, Insensitivity, Success. Yes, yes. Because it just, you know, and I know you, you I, I, this it may seem like happenstance. It may seem like just, you know, kismet here, just sort of the radio guy speaking, that you and I are working both on the same kind of rig at the same time. But actually, this is the result of a not-too-subtle manipulation on your part. You are the one who have pushed me into this, and <laughs> and every once in a while I find myself thinking, why am I why am I building this transceiver again? Why am I doing this? And then then and then I'll, I'll I'll kind of put it off to the side, and another priority mailbox shows up in my box, and there's another set of parts and boards from um, Newberry Park, California, and so I continue to build. But let's talk about your rig first.
1: Okay. Okay. Great to talk about it. Well, uh, I'd like to start first by saying a little bit about DFMA. And DFMA, for those who worked in industry, especially manufacturing industry, that's an acronym for Design for Manufacturing and Assembly. And one of the problems you always have is like, uh, you remember the famous automobile where to change the oil, change the uh, oil filter. You had to drop the engine, <laughs> you know, because you could, you couldn't get access to it. I mean, it was really cool up until the time you have to. Uh, you had to change the oil. And what's on my bench right now is I'm actually taking my termination insensitive amplifier, uh, sort of heart of new transceiver, and trying to put it in a box. And I usually start out with on the bench, you know, spread out. You've seen it; even sometimes goes to multiple layers, not not just one single layer. It's in multiple planes. It's like it's
0: like when they're playing three D chess. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So so that's how how my 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 version of, of the transceiver started out, and now I'm trying to put it in a box. And sometimes I, I do this all the time. I, I don't think about. How is this ultimately going to be put? Now, I know you think about it because you start out with a box. You know, in other words, you say, this is the box size, and how is mm-hmm. this all going to fit? Me, I always say, okay, let's build this board, let's build that board, connect them all up, and let's see what happens. So uh, there's a word to the wise here is think a little bit about <laughs> where your project ultimately is going to end up.
0: And I'm, I got the phrase for this, Pete. You anyway, Think inside the box. Think
1: inside the box. Yes. There you yeah, go. Yeah. There you go. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is why we're making the big bucks here yeah, on Flatter yeah. Think inside the <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I'm I'm driving myself nuts trying to get this thing down to a size that's something that's manageable. But I, I think we're getting there, and I think we're uh, we're also going to have something that. Uh, Hopefully, when I put it all back together, it works. That's the other problem. You know, works great on the bench, spread out, and the next thing you know, you put it in a box and you get all kind of problems. So uh, I hope I've addressed that. But uh, a couple little things that um, <clears throat> I, I... But I,
0: I must say, your, your rig looked quite fetching when it was spread out on a 2x4. Yeah, edition. it
1: was the 2x4. It was two uh, It was on a 2x4 by 18 inches long.
0: <laughs> well,
1: I got that idea
0: from... It sounds, it sounds like a roofing project. Yeah, I, I got the idea
1: from the guy that had the 4-foot long. Trans-y oh, that was great! Yeah. The
0: guy in Australia yeah. Yeah. with the plank. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. I said, "Yeah,
1: well, yeah, yeah, it'll work." <laughs> so, I
0: just come to us from all over. Yeah, yeah, it'll
1: work. So, uh, good idea. But now I want to put it in something that you can tuck under your arm. <laughs> I mean, you look a little, little foot. <laughs> or
0: At least, or at least fit in the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, anyway, but a couple of things that uh, I did a little bit differently than than Bill, and that was on the bench this week. I um, I put a real RF amplifier. Uh, stage final amplifier stage on the output and uh, again since i have access to a two hundred fifty thousand dollars cnc machine <laughs> you know i just laid something out and I, I cut the board but anyway um i and bill i'm sure you're going to address this based on some of your discussions with allison is the irf 510 is, is a good rf device but it has limitations so i decided to uh, put a, a real device in there as a matter of fact uh, kind of the board I've come up with uh, is a universal board. Some of the RF transistors have the tab as the collector and other RF transistors have the tab as the emitter. So I've designed this thing so I can put either one in there and you can connect it up and and make it work. And I've used this uh, RF amplifier stage. I used it in the J-Bomb, used it also in the KWM-4. So I know it's a workable design, it's just like redesign the board to make it a little more compact so that's been on the bench and so for the, about the next uh, week and a half or so i'm going to try to put my version in, into some sort of a reasonable size box and i have as a goal uh, about three inches high six inches wide eight inches deep so that's that's going to be the size Th- that'll fit under your arm or in your car <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's what i've been doing bill
0: well, I, I, it's really cool, and I think one of the one of the things that we've, we've got to let people know about here is that one of the innovations that we've been using in both these rigs is the what you said before the termination insensitive amplifier, and this the title of this amplifier has provoked a lot of jokes, and it, you know people have written in saying, "Oh, is that when you know?" I, I the one I like best was when your girlfriend dumps you and you really don't <laughs> care. <laughs> no, that's not it. No, no, or, or somebody said. When you get fired and you really don't care, no, no, it's uh, it's all about it. this. This came as a suggestion that Farhan made um, when I was talking. When I was building, I think the first, yeah, the first bidex, I was trying to figure out what impedance figure, what number I should use when trying to match the uh, the crystal filter to the to the impedances at either end set by the the amplifiers in the bidex design, and. Farhan came back and he said, you know, the next time you do one of these, you really should think about using uh, the termination-insensitive design that Wes Hayward and Bob Kopsky came up with in 2009. They wrote an article on it. And it's a really interesting article. I know you and I have both been looking at it quite a bit. And I followed Farhan's advice, and I got the 2009 article. And uh, by, you know, these termination-insensitive amplifiers, really what happens is um, the regular... Standard um, kind of plain vanilla bid amplifiers are not termination insensitive. They're kind of termination transparent. And that means that when you're trying to figure out what the what the input impedance looks like, well, it depends a lot on what's hanging on the other end. So you know you it ma- that makes it more difficult to figure out how to match the crystal filter. It's especially difficult because the crystal filter has to match both ways. When you switch it around and go from receive to transmit, it's got to have that 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 impedance at either end of the crystal filter has to remain the same, and that's kind of hard to do—not really hard, but kind of hard to do when you're dealing with amplifiers that are not termination insensitive. So what Wes and Bob did is they came up with a design that'll always be at fifty ohms at, at one end, no matter what you're hanging at the other end. And this makes it really good for uh, for matching the uh, the crystal filters in the center. So that was that was one of the innovations. And uh, the the amplifiers they look a little bit more complicated, but they're not that much more complicated. Uh, and and uh, I found they went together quite well. The other thing that's really cool about this article is that Wes and Bob provided a chart that that showed the gain that you could select. And you could select a, a wide variety of gains all the way down from, from like 15 dB or lower, I think. You could either, even go down to like 8 or 10 dB, all the way up to, to 30 dB. And so you, this depends basically on the selection of two resistors, a feedback resistor and a, and a, and a resistor in the emitter circuit. I'm, s- I'm sorry, the dog was going nuts. <laughs> but anyway, we are saying that you could select the um, the impedances and by just picking two different resistors, and that makes it really easy, too. So, anyway, termination insensitivity. And, and then I took the other recommendation that you push. You pushed me in this direction, too, Pete. This is the use of the SI5351, oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And this, we had to go against the conventional wisdom on this because everybody was saying, oh, there's problems with this chip. You shouldn't use this chip they said there'd be phase noise. You, you remember the phase noise. Oh, yeah. They were after you on the phase noise. And, and then there was there was a thing called um, bleed over, that there's three outputs from this chip. And it, the, 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 the people were saying that, well, the output from one bleeds over to the other and it causes all kinds of trouble. But we persisted, you persisted in, in kind of advocating for the use of this chip so when it, we went ahead and used it. So instead of building two different oscillators, a BFO and a VFO, I just put this chip in there and um, used it with an Arduino. I used the Arduino um, Uno R3, and that worked really well. But, man, this thing came together. We built the um, – th- I built three um, termination-insensitive bilateral amps. I used a crystal filter that had been sent to me by – Steve Snortrosen Smith out there, also on the west coast. This was from a Yesu FT7. That was in there. Um, and then the rest of it was basically a, kind of a, the Bidex architecture. I, um I used the same power amplifier strip that was in the original Bidex, and that has a, like a 2N390, 2N3904 pre-driver, a 2N2218A driver, and then the IRF-510. I know there's all kinds of shortcomings and problems with the IRF-510, but I um, I always found that it worked out fine, so I, I, I stuck with it. And actually, I had more luck with this amp than I've had with others. What I did differently this time is I laid it out in a strip, a strip along, uh, all in a line. It's, I have pictures of it up on the blog. But instead of having all these amplifiers kind of crammed up in the corner like I usually do, I just left enough space and I kind of put it along the back of the rig, and I built a big <laughs> copper wall. <laughs> and then I put kind of shielding dividers between each segment of the, the amplifier chain. And I was doing this in the hope that I would avoid the dreaded amplifier oscillation <laughs> syndrome. It worked. Yeah. It actually worked. So uh, that, was, that was really good. I, uh, it, 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 w- it was very stable. The other thing I did, and uh, this was kind of a little bit out there, too, I I realized that with the um, SI5351, it would be very easy for me to change uh, VFO and BFO frequencies. And from my experience with other BIDXs, I realized that if I could just be able to change the the bandpass filter and the lowpass filter at the output, I could really make it very easy to switch this rig to different bands. So um, instead of just coming up, instead of using switching arrangements, which I tried to use before, I went with plug-ins. So I got plug-in filter for the local oscillator, I mean for the bandpass filter, and I got a plug-in uh, filter for the, uh, the low-pass filter. So I, I even thought about going the extra mile and, and making a plug-in filter for the crystal Make the crystal filter also plug in because I have several different crystal filters here that I've collected over the years, but I haven't done that so far. I, so far, I've, I'm sticking with the nine megahertz uh, filter, and I haven't switched it to other bands yet. But we've got it going on uh, on on forty, and it's been a lot of fun. Oh yeah, <clears throat> yeah. A- Allison has been a huge help. Of course, there were there were troubles, there were trials and tribulations. And I, maybe just talk. Maybe I'll just go through, go through it a little bit. Sort of lessons learned here. Um, um, the first thing, I guess, the first problem I had was I noticed that that I had built too much gain into the transmitter section. You, we had gone ahead, and I think we had built it for like 24 dBs in each stage of the of the transmitter on the transmitter side. And I found that was way too much. That it was just the whole transmitter was just too hot with just a little tiny bit of audio going into the balanced modulator. The thing was just going to like maximum output. But it was simple. I just went in and it took me about 15 minutes and I changed those stages from 24 dB. All three of them were changed back down to about 15.4 dB. And that that took care of that problem. Later on, I found out that the the receiver had too much gain in it too because we have three stages of uh, receiver amplification and one of them, I mean before the audio, and I found that it, that on 40 meters the signals were just kind of overloading that uh, that mixer, so uh, we had to get I had to go in and just reduce the gain on the first on the RF amplifier. I had to reduce it down to 15 dB, and that took care of a lot of problems. Uh, hey, one thing I want to mention: I, I'm really pleased with the uh, transmit receive uh, switchover on this particular bidx. My other's BitX, is used I used these. These big, clunky, kind of like ice cube-like uh, relays. And they're really big and clunky. Clunky is the word. So when I go from transmit to receive, I hit the push to talk on those rigs, and there's just like clunk. And then when I release it, there's clunk, and it gets really annoying. On this BitX, I figured out how to use just three of these little, tiny, small uh, 12-volt relays. They're double pole double-throw. I just used two of them. One is up. Near the low pass filter, and that serves two purposes. It switches the low pass filter from transmit to receive, and it also provides a, a, a relay control for the amplifier, for the follow on amplifier that we'll talk about in a minute. The second uh, um, relay sits down by the low pass, by the bandpass filter, and that switches the bandpass filter from transmit to receive and that also the second part of double pad, double pole double throw switches the 12 volts from transmit to receive. And these two filters because they are I get these two two uh, relays because they're so small, they uh, when I go from transmit to receive, it's almost silent. It's really kind of cool. It's there's none of that clunk and thunk. So that was that was really good. Hey, no phase noise noted.
1: Ooh, no phase noise. Yeah. No phase
0: <laughs> noise. So Pete Giuliano was right about that one definitely. And, um, oh, uh, let's see, um, let's see, what else? Oh, the Oh, one other thing I want to note, there's a product I want to recommend, and I've talked about this before, I got a roll of uh, copper foil, they call it flashing foil, I got it from Home Depot, but it's copper, and um, I got a big roll of it, and I use it all the time in these rigs, whenever, if I have... Like, uh, PC boards. And I want to thank you for the boards that you sent from your $250,000 <laughs> CNC machine. Another one coming. But, <laughs> um, but when I, when I put these boards down, if you want to connect them, you want to connect the ground plane, you know, you don't want to just run a little wire between them and say, oh, the ground plane's connected. No, you want something that's going to let that RF move freely without creating a little miniature inductor between them. So you just chop out a, you know, a two-by-two-inch piece of this copper foil. and it, it solders very easily, and it creates... It kind of unifies the ground planes. So I also use it for taking these wooden boxes, and I line the inside of the wooden boxes with copper, and then it becomes a metal box. So it's it's useful in many, many, many ways. So it's one of those products, if you're in Home Depot, look for the flashing, the copper flashing. Anyway, um, then... Um, well, maybe, we, should we talk a little bit about the uh, getting it to work with the amplifier?
1: Oh, yeah. Hey, hey and, before you uh, pass on that, since you started out with the uh, QRP Quarterly in, in the Mimic transceiver, Yeah. Uh, by the way, those are termination insensitive.
0: Yeah. So, I, I noticed that in the article. That's pretty cool. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, this was... Kind of uh, around the same time that Kopsky and, and Hayward were doing that, it was just dumb luck on my part. But I mean, these mimics are fifty ohms in, fifty ohms out. They are termination insensitive, which is really useful. Yeah,
0: I I, I, I wanted to mention this. You know, you uh, you wrote I think to Bob and to Wes about the termination insensitive amps. And I think one of your question was whether anybody had built rigs with them, and. Uh, the, the the answer I found was really interesting yeah, and surprising. Yeah. They, they basically said that they were unaware. Uh, they, they wrote the article in 2009, but then were unaware of anybody actually using it to build rigs. They said they'd gotten, received some inquiries, but nobody actually building a rig, which I found surprising.
1: Well, actually, Hayward said that. Then Kopsky said he knew one, and that's our friend Tom.
0: Tom Hall yeah. up in New York City. Yeah. A, uh, yeah and, AK-2B. Uh, and he, uh, yeah. AK-2B, yeah. He um, and he <laughs> built one, and then then so I, I realized that in terms of homebrew rigs with with these kind of amplifiers in it, we might only have three.
1: Actually, two. Thomas is it is his apart. He told me. Well, he did. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. It, 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 we call that termination in t Tia One. Yeah. Yours is Tia 2, and mine is Tia 3. And I said that yours has to be called a Zia. Zia, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Because Tia, well, it's a little yeah. inside joke. And we're tia, talking with our aunts. <laughs> we're our hands now, but Tia also means aunt, aunt, like your aunt. Yeah. Your aunt's Sal- out in, in Spanish, but in, in if you were to say it in Italian, it's Zia yeah, with a Z. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: It, So it's a Zia amp in, in, in Mr. Giuliano's case out there, but... But then somebody wrote in and said, "Hey, wait a second! No, there are more of these out there because Farhan's Minima uses a termination insensitive amp, and that's correct. It's true. And I hadn't thought of that. Maybe the reason I didn't think about it is because I think Farhan's Minima, the original design, only had one, and which you know, which is fine. But I I think what we were thinking about more is where you have a situation where you have the crystal filter and you have a, a TIA amp at at either end. That's what we were talking about. So I think the the folks who pointed out that the minima uses termination insensitive amp is they're correct. But um, we have to. Have, but I think what we were just thinking about was a different kind of kind of configuration. But um, anyway, yeah, viva latia yeah, there
1: you go. There you go. <laughs>
0: they're, they're really useful. Um, okay, so then i got I got the uh, I got this thing working, and I was making contacts with it. Uh, and I'm very very pleased, and uh, making contacts at about seven or eight watts on forty. I was getting good reports. I wasn't getting any of the uh, any of the, the shaming or the the peer pressure or the bullying that I got on my previous foray onto the uh, the uh, exalted enhanced audio forty meter band. But this time everybody seemed to like it. But I you know I got to admit something, Pete. I I didn't this time when I went the first time I went out on forty with the rig. I kind of kept it quiet that it was homebrew. Yeah, because you know what I discovered last time was that that you're almost asking for trouble if you start out by saying, hey, I'm trying out a new homebrew rig. Because then they all seem to want to, so let me see what I can find wrong in that signal. Whereas if you don't mention that, they're just going to say, yeah, it sounds good. But if you say, "Uh, I'm running a new homebrew rig, it seems like they're going to say, well, let me pull out my uh, magnifying glass and see if i can find an imperfection in your signal that i can attribute to your silly attempt to homebrew a radio which we all know in the modern age is an impossibility nobody does that nobody does that anymore you can't do it you yeah. can't the rates yeah. are too complicated <laughs> anyway uh, so so i kind of kept that little bit under the radar and uh, that was wise because i think it, it it was it enabled me to get get a sense of whether this thing was misbehaving the way the previous rig had on 40, and I concluded that that it was not, that it was okay. It was
1: ready for prime time.
0: At least the exciter was.
1: (laughs) Hey, Bill, (laughs) just just a quick question here. Do you find it kind of cool you can dial in the frequency and it's actually on the frequency?
0: Oh, yes, that's really nice, too. And I I find myself, uh, Pete, doing what I was making fun of just a few short months ago, (laughs) and that is only selecting... Whole integers of <laughs> kilocycles, right? So none of this seventy-two thirty-one point two. No, no, seventy-two thirty-one. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. And I only do it that way because there's there's no need to upset people yeah. unnecessarily. Yeah, 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 You got it. <laughs> freak them out. Uh, so I, I'm doing that. Yeah, and that is that is nice. Although I gotta say, the software that I'm using right now, I have it set up so that it it uh, changes in two hundred hertz increments right because I could change it in 1kc increments but sometimes I find myself wanting to tune the guy in a little bit and not everybody does the whole kc thing at at 100 hertz man it takes it takes a lot of dial turning to move from one end of the band to the other 200 hertz about half that but still quite a bit so tom hall up in new york is going to take uh, he's going to do something for me he's going to take uh, thomas la3pna's code and he's going to add a feature where I could do the indent and change the increment from the front panel. It's, I don't know if people understand what we're saying, but on a lot of the software for the SI 5351, if you want to change the like the tuning increment, you you just press in on the dial and then you could select tune up there. Somebody's coming in on the rig there. Uh, you could change at 10 hertz, 100 hertz, 1 kc. You know, 2kC, 10kC. You could even change in megahertz increments, which is a really use- useful feature. The software that I'm currently using doesn't have that, so the only way I could change that increment is to to go in, change the code, and reload the um, reload the code into the Arduino. But Tom's going to modify that for me so that we could, uh, so that I can uh, change that at will. But it is nice to dial it in.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. The, just a word here, if someone's using the SI5351 and are wondering why they're not on frequency, there is a little calibration routine that you got to go through initially with your SI5351, and you got to find out where it is. And once you get the calibration right, it'll always be on frequency. But you could right. be off 100 hertz because you didn't go through the initial calibration step.
0: Well, I just stayed with the, um, whatever Thomas had in there, and it seems bang on. Everybody nobody's complaining. And they would let you know on Twitter. Oh, yes.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. off Because, you know, the standards are quite high. Oh, yes. <laughs> They're enhanced. Uh, anyway, okay, so we got the Exciter working, and then I said, all right, now let's, now the real, the real acid test here. Let's see if I could make this thing work QRO. Oh. Now, we got to, we got to be careful here because of your newly exalted status in the... (laughs) So let me make it clear. I am the one talking about amplifiers, okay? I am the one talking about QRO. This is not Pete Giuliano of the QRP ARCI Hall of Fame. He is an innocent bystander here, and I don't want any talk about rescinding awards or... uh, or, or or whacking or anything yeah, like there that.
1: Transgression. <laughs> I go am wax. the one
0: pinning <laughs> <Beating> the <laughs> coax. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so I, I have the amplifier here, my uh, CCI amplifier that we talked so much about, and uh, I when I built the uh, the, the transceiver that which we call the Digitia, I had a little jack in the back so that it can control the the relays in the amplifier, and uh, I. With some trepidation, hooked the whole thing up, and wouldn't you know, it immediately took off. Like a banshee. I mean, screaming, hey! It was almost, you know, like people were saying, don't try this again. Yeah. Uh, so I took a deep breath and pulled out the test gear and started poking away at it, and uh, very wisely started to consult with uh, you and Alan Walkie and Allison. What's Allison's call again? KB1, KB1 GMX. KB1 GMX. Allison knows her stuff. Yep. She knows about tainment oscillators and what's wrong and holy cow. She is patient and helpful and super knowledgeable on this stuff. Because I would describe what was going on and then she would tell me what I needed to do. And then, of course, I would resist that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> I would try something else, yeah. but then I'd I'd eventually come around and say, okay, I, I guess I better do what Allison prescribes. Man, this rig is so active; I keep having to move around. You can probably hear it playing in the background. But anyway, um, one of the things she said was to check, and this is a really good idea. Um, the The thing is the 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 X rig. Let me turn this thing off. Hold on.
1: You're just trying to impress us how sensitive your new radio is, right? <laughs> I
0: know. No, I, know. I, can't even, I can't even turn the AF gain down. I have to actually power it down. But anyway, she was saying that uh, um, the, the, the transceiver itself worked fine. It just didn't work when we hooked it up to the amplifier. And then I noticed that the transceiver worked fine if I pulled out the uh, low-pass filter and just sort of bypassed those connections and ran it in. So that gave her a sense that there was something wrong between the kind of the required impedances. If you, if, you, if you were presenting an impedance to that low pass filter that was significantly divergent from 50 ohms, then it would mess the whole thing up and it would cause all kinds of oscillations and all kinds of problems. So what Allison recommended is that I take an SWR meter and put the SWR meter between the transceiver and the amplifier and see what the SWR looked like. It's a good way to check the kind of the impedance match between the two. And, man, it was really high. It was like way over 3 to 1. Something was wrong there. It was, and this was a problem that really existed only on 40 meters. It's not really entirely clear why this problem was there, but she then said one thing you should do is put a 3 dB resistive pad at the input of the CCI amplifier. So I did that, and I think what, what this does is it takes whatever the impedance was at that amplifier input, it puts it a lot closer to the required 50 ohms. It forces so, it. So yeah, it forces it, it forces to that. It. Yeah. Right. So that I put, as soon as I put that pad in there, um, things got a lot better. But then I noticed it was still. It would be. I was in the situation where the um, the the amp was stable into the dummy load, but not. In, not as stable into the antenna, so I went and checked the SWR on the antenna. Aha! Uh-huh. It was pretty bad too. My 40 meter antenna is kind of falling apart and dilapidated out there, so it's maybe way off tune. And anyway, I, I got a little uh, little transmatch and, and tuned it down to to one to one, so I'd have a 50 ohm there too. And once I did that, everything was was fine. So, uh happy days here, Pete. We got this. Uh, the rig yeah, is yeah. working. It's putting out about 140 watts. Uh, I worked a bunch of people on 40 meters last night. No or no negative comments. Everybody said it sounded great. One guy said to me, and this guy was on a TR7. He said, man, it sounds just as good as those enhanced audio guys up at the <laughs> top end of the band. I said, yeah, maybe maybe I'm going to go up there and tell them that I'm running a $5 radio. yeah,
1: yeah. Hey, before you you leave that subject, you know, um, this, this goes back to the early days uh, when guys were connecting up uh, transmitters and transceivers to uh, linear amplifiers. There were some critical lengths of coax, uh, like they didn't want you to do any more than three or four feet from, from the transceiver to the linear amp. This goes back to the tube days, and one of those problems was you could get enough coax in there to upset that uh, input impedance and there were some yeah. critical critical links so th- this you're experiencing the problem today but this is not a new problem and and they would say yeah. cut cut your coax cut a foot off your coax you know
0: you know i, 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 I hadn't thought of it that might have been it yeah you know, you know, you could know you... be something because i am now running i got about 3 or 4 feet between so you never know i mean for whatever reason it yeah. was looking it presented a weird yeah. kind of impedance there so uh Anyway, we, uh, we got it solved with the 3 dB pad. Well, well the interesting thing is, though, I, I, when I put the 3 dB pad in there, I, I realized that I put it in in such a way that it's, it's in there even in receive. In other words, I put it on the outside of the relay, not on the inside of the relay. It was a lot easier to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. If I was to put it on the other side, I would have to rip the amplifier apart, and, and that would have been a, a lot of work. So I, I momentarily thought, oh, man, I'm gonna, you know, I'm losing 3 dB on receive. <laughs> but it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, yeah. You got enough gain. It's,
0: you got enough gain and if you can hear the, the noise floor, it doesn't matter. And so I left it in there. And so when I go to QRP, I'll be three D B more in the QRP direction. Oh yeah, there you go. There you go. I'll be I'll be half an S unit more oh, QRP ish.
1: With more presence. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: hope this helps redeem me with the uh with the QRP uh, community. Yeah. Anyway, so it's been a good project. I'm really enjoying this thing. And I, uh, and, uh, I, have it, I have more room on the bench now. Um, what you said before was something that's important is access to the, uh, to the, to the circuitry. That's one of the reasons I like these wooden boxes, because you could just pop the top and everything is very accessible. And I, I made some room on the bench. I moved the HT 37 and the Drake two B a little bit further down. I didn't have the heart to take them off the bench, but now I have, uh, I have like three bidexes in a row here. It looks uh, it looks kind of cool actually.
1: All in the same kind of box, right?
0: All in the same box. Yeah, yep. kind of cool. The, the Michael's box. Yeah.
1: Hey, hey, before you uh, uh, move off into something else, I just wanted to comment about you. You were saying putting it on other bands. And, uh, for people that are contemplating, uh, building this rig, you know, it's, it's probably best to start off with a single band. <laughs> you know, don't, don't tie your one arm behind you and, and get one band working. But later on in the software, uh, it, it's possible to, to, to just throw a switch and you don't have to reprogram, uh, the, uh, SI
0: 5351
1: and it'll, it'll switch the band, and then all you gotta do is put the right plug in coils in. So, I mean, Keep that in mind, uh, you're going downstream, you can modify the code so that uh, if you want to switch bands, you just throw a switch and uh, you're on a different band and just plug in a set of coils. But I think that's really cool that you, you've got a, a USB port right on the front of your radio. So if you want to make any software changes, pretty easy.
0: Uh, I've, I've already done it. It's very satisfying, too. You just uh, take the cable, sit there. I wanted to change the, uh, the tuning increment, and I, I did that. I wanted to change the, uh, the startup frequency. I did that. I even wanted to change what it says on the front panel there. and Now I have it, it cool. It says N2CQR Digitea. Cool, man, very cool. But thanks to everybody who's who's been supporting this effort. And I'll go through the list. Farhan for the idea, the whole BitX concept. You for providing the boards. Your son for giving you that two hundred fifty thousand dollars CNC machine. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Steve Snortrosen Smith out there in California for sending the. Uh, uh, the filter along thomas in norway for the for the code going in there uh, tom hall up in new york city for all the help in getting the uh the, the um the uh, the micro microcontroller and the si-5351 going but uh hey it's it's really kind of cool when you have these little inputs from from all over the country and all over the world
1: it's an international radio
0: international brotherhood of electronic wizards yeah, Pete. Yeah. that's what we're talking about yeah. here
1: really cool speaking
0: of which the new minima. Uh, we got a new message from Farhan. Now, this is uh, sort of similar, closely related, but uh, there's been some developments in the world of the minima. And Farhan recently sent out an email with his latest thinking on on what, which way to go with the, the minima transceiver. I thought it was really interesting. I was looking at it this morning. I know you've looked at it too. But <clears throat> they're go- he said he's moving away from this um, KISS mixer. They had a KISS mixer that used two JFETs. And they ran the, the RF right from the um, from the uh, low pass filter right into this uh, this kind of different mixer, and I don't know. There, I know there's been a lot of discussion, a lot of back and forth on it, but it looks like on the the latest design, Farhan is moving away from that and is moving into a standard diode ring uh, mixer configuration, and then from there he goes into um, a bilateral amplifier. But it's not termination sensitive. It's just a standard. Plain vanilla, two transistor, very simple, uh, and I mean that's an advantage too. From there, he goes to the uh, crystal filter at 24 megahertz, I think it is. So they lose uh, 15 meters, I think, or they lose 10. No, they lose 10 meters. They keep 15, which I think is a good a good trade. And then uh, then it goes to another um, bilateral amplifier. From there, it goes down to the two diode um, uh, balanced modulator product detector, the standard two-diode, tri transformer, and they're into an audio chip. That's it. And one one stage of audio preamp and then um, an audio um, uh, op-amp. So real simple. I, I kind of like it. Yeah. You know what it's crying out for, though? Mill pads. What
1: the,
0: <laughs> pads and what else? It's crying out for...
1: SI-5351? Uh, I knew it. Yeah, yeah. It, was, yeah.
0: it <laughs> is, because... I looked. I was looking at Farhan's drawing this morning, and for the VFO, he's got the SI570, like he always does. And then down below, it just says, BFO in. And I'm saying, hey, where's that coming yeah. from? And so, it just seems to be crying out for the SI5351. Yeah. So, let's make an appeal here to the minima community. Yes. Take a chance. Live dangerously. Yes. yes. Try the SI5351. Try it. You'll like it.
1: By the way, I was noodling a, uh, a layout for using surface mount for those, those simplified bilateral amplifiers. A lot, lot easier to do. You might be able to really shrink <laughs> shrink that radio down. There, there's not a lot of parts to it, but if you, if you use surface mounts, uh, and I think I've got a layout that will let you do that. So I can use my $250,000 CNC machine again.
0: Well, listen. You know what I was thinking about doing. You had sent me a, a number of boards for the uh, Digitia with the termination insensitive amps, but you had made the pads really small.
1: Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> and I and I chickened out. I said to you, "Look, I can't solder stuff that small, because I would have to tr- jam all the components from you know each of the uh, each of the th- listen each put it this way each amplifier block of the termination insensitive amp." has six transistors in it, three on the top, three on the bottom, three for transmit, three for receive. But this one that that Farhan has for the minima has a total of just two, one for transmit, one for receive. So I could take those little blocks of uh, mill pads that you sent, and I could definitely get that new minima, 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 minima amplifiers in there. And that would be no problem because hell, if I needed to use three or four pads for each connection, <laughs> yeah. I could just solder them all together yeah, and yeah, make yeah. it like one big <laughs> yeah, humongous yeah. pad. So, see, the radio guys have spoken again. I think that's what's going to end up happening with those boards. But I, I really like the this kind of minimalist approach. But I think the SI fifty three fifty one will be the kind of the game changer with, with this rig yeah. because it'll you could make it really small, really simple. It would work really great. You could determine the gain. Um, I think it would be especially good on <coughs> on 40 meters where you don't need a whole lot of gain. And uh, uh, this could be interesting. So that might be the next project.
1: Okay, I'm going plan to plant a seed. An 8x2 display. 8x2 eight eight. makes it really small. And, oh, and yeah. then you could use a Pro Mini, which really gets the size down. So you, you could make that thing really, really compact. 8 by Holy 2 8x2, and the Pro Mini. Yeah.
0: Oh man, no we're going small. This is really good stuff.
1: Yeah. Hey, AB, right. So I'm not remiss. I want to talk about SCD, so we don't forget that in oh, the okay. program. SCD. Oh yeah.
0: All right. Listen. Okay. The the, the the shameless commerce division. Thank you for reminding me. Um, I guess one of the things we should talk about this week again is the uh, the book Us and Them. It's a good summertime read. It's good for the whole family. I'm I'm getting people who are writing in saying, Hey, I read the I read the new book, and I passed it to my spouse. And they like it, too. So it's, it, it's kind of, a, explaining kind of the, the backstory on Solder Smoke, uh, to the, uh, to the, to the, to a wider audience. I, I think like it. It's available, but you could see it, There's a link to it up on the solder smoke.blogspot.com page. Um, and also, we want to, wow, it's really been great. People who are going to Amazon go through the Solder Smoke blog page and it, it really helps a lot. So, Again, when you Cha-ching. think Cha-ching. <laughs> Bezos and the suits from Amazon sending us money, yeah. if you're going to buy anything from Amazon, do it through the Solder Smoke page. If you think Amazon, think Solder Smoke, and uh, just go to the page. You'll see a little link to Amazon up in the upper right. Start your search there, and uh, then we'll get, a, we'll get a piece of the, uh, of the Amazon money. I go. think of it as a solder smoke, a rebate to solder smoke, yeah, there right? You go. And it doesn't cost you anything, but it, they they send us the money, and we use it. We we use it for radio stuff that we then talk about here on the show.
1: Software, your big software program, so we could have good audio.
0: That's which is very important,
1: That's right? Absolutely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So concludes the shameless commerce division. Thanks for reminding me. Hey, um, one thing I wanted to mention is. Um, um, Mike KL7R's website. Uh, I got word uh, a few weeks ago that the, the site had kind of disappeared and uh, uh, a good friend of ours, Jim W8NSA, previously AL7RV <coughs> a long time listener, wrote in and said that he noticed the site went down and he just took it on himself to put it back up again. So most of the, the, the site, most of Mike uh, KL7R's uh, site is back up on the internet, and I have a link to it on the blog, and you'll you'll see a picture of Mike there at the helm of a of a boat, and then down there is the new link. A lot of good information in there. Every time I go back, you know, it's amazing. He was he was really advanced, and and and, and had a good way of explaining things in in videos and web pages. So all that's still there. Thanks to uh, to Jim Al Seven RV. What else is going on, Pete?
1: Well, you know, uh, I think uh, now that you've got the uh, the, n- the new transceiver going, you need to expand that to other bands. <laughs> so t- today, uh, tomorrow you're going to a, a ham fest, is that right? I,
0: I, I believe I'm going out to the Manassas Ham Fest. Armand is going to be out there, so we're going to see our friend Armand, and uh, a big solder Smoke listener. Hope to see him and some of the other folks. So what should I buy out there? At, crystal at
1: filters. Find another crystal filter.
0: Armin gave me one last time. We were at the Vienna Wireless Hand Fest. Yeah. He gave me one, and I have one of the Heathkit crystal filters sitting here, and he gave me another one.
1: But you can never have enough crystal filters. <laughs> so so if, you spot another, if you spot another 9 megahertz, that's a really, really good, good frequency. The only thing that uh, 9 megahertz uh, shorts you on is, of uh, course, 17 meters. Not a real that's good right. idea to put that on 17 meters. But all the other bands... You know, you could uh, you could come up with uh, uh, some more radios. You're gonna have you you have enough boards now to build another another <laughs> radio. another half dozen radios. Yeah, yeah. So you might as well, you might as well find find some uh, some stuff. Hey,
0: I just did something there. I said radios, uh-uh. and this is a discussion. Yes, we call them rigs.
1: Yes. or we call
0: them radios.
1: Yeah, the rig here is hobru
0: The rig here is yeah. yeah. I, 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 I we we've been having a discussion about this with our. Um, expert on the radio lexicon, Steve Silverman. I think he's our lexicographer. Lexicographer, yes. That's a, that's a correct lexicographic term. Yeah. Um, but uh, I said, I found a video, and it was of W7DRA, and it showed a, a, a rig, a real rig that he had built up, and it, it involved some old World War II surplus components, some relays, a lot of switching... A lot of scary high voltage, some three hundred watt light bulbs, yeah. uh, the whole thing, and he was making contacts on one sixty with it, and I it it just I I really liked it because it really just it kind of evoked the full meaning of the term rig. The rig here is it's almost like in the rigging of a ship, yeah. you know, lots of lots of connecting wires and parts and ropes and things like that, and. Um, I've noticed that more and more on the bands, especially on 40 meters, uh, people are referring to their equipment as radios, like the radio here is. And for me, a radio is like the transistor radio that we had when we were kids. Yeah. The 9-volt transistor radio, that was a radio. But what I had in the ham shack, that mess that I had in the ham shack that involved Drake 2Bs, HC-37s, DX-40s, lots of relays, lots of wire, lots of keys, microphones, all that together... Was not a radio, a rig. A radio is that thing you put in your pocket to listen to, you know, WMCA in New York or whatever. WOR. Um, I know. I'm sure you've got similar. Oh
1: yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I never say the radio is. I always say the rig, whether it's a commercial or it's a homebrew. The rig here is. I mean.
0: That's right. I think that's. This is what separates us, and I think. We have to fight this one. Steve points out that he says that every, anything that's used for ham radio communication should be referred to as a rig. Yep. And I, I I'm with it, But then on the other hand, you realize that a lot of this stuff it just is a mystery kind of black box there. But I guess it's a matter of mentality. So I think Steve has said that we should call them all rigs. And I, I'm with him on that. So uh, there we go. We have a we have a ruling from the uh, the Solder Smoke Lexographic Committee. There you go the Terminology Committee, that will henceforth only be referred to as rigs, and radios will be those things that you listen to NPR on. Yeah, yeah,
1: there you go. (laughs) Hey, hey, while we're at it, I I wanted to make a comment from uh, a couple of uh, podcasts ago, uh, two two inputs, and and I think they were addressed specifically to me. First of, I mentioned about the Torn 3, my Beltorn 3 radio, and someone from the U.K. (laughs) sent me... An email saying you're pronouncing that incorrectly. It's Bell Thorne. It's not oh. it's not Belthorn. It's oh, bell horn. Me. yeah, he said every time I hear you say that I cringe, so my <laughs> my apologies but I mean it's just what we're used to seeing, I looked at it and said Belthorn. And he said no, it's Bell Thorne <laughs> So well, my listen, apologies.
0: Well, we're so far over the edge with our British cousins here because, let's face it, we call this solder smoke. And those who are familiar with British slang realize that that pronunciation implies that we're talking about an entirely different behavior and activity. (laughs) It has nothing to do with electronics. It's very important for them to pronounce that L in there, which we just can't do, so... I know, uh, there's all kinds of, yeah, and then we, we, it, it is kind of fun. Okay, so, what is it? Belf?
1: Belforn. It's like
0: Belforn, B- like B- the thorn, B- like B- a rose thorn. B- like B- a
1: and then T H O R N, Belforn. Oh. So, right, my Belforn 3. <laughs>
0: Belforn 3. They were, on, some, they were on your case about something else, yeah, too. Yeah, si
1: 5351. Ah. Different, different input. And this had to do with the, uh, we discussed this earlier, phase noise. One of the, suggestions for uh, circumventing the phase noise issue was to generate the frequency at four times and then externally divide it down into uh, 1x versus 4x. And this improves the phase noise by about 6 dB, uh, which seems pretty reasonable. But I, I got a dissertation that said, uh, in an email, that said, well, it's a clock generator. And you're not doing anything to change the, the clock pulses as such in this break and make that's what generates the phase noise so dividing it down doesn't do anything i i hear more comments about that's a viable technique but that was just an input that it's not a viable technique so i have done both uh i i think at the hf range it's a moot point i i think it works fine as is i i don't notice any phase noise So I I don't think it's an issue, but I did want to make a comment that we did get an input about that.
0: All right. Well, all right. So, uh, you know, I I want to point out that I I didn't do any of this multiply by four, divide by four stuff on my rig. It just went right from the SI5351 directly into the SBL1 mixers for VFO and BFO. And as far as I can tell, it works just fine. It sounds exactly like the... uh, the rigs where I'm using a, a VFO or a VXO, I noticed no difference. So at least at at uh, at HF, um, I think it's it's just fine,
1: just that one way. One issue you may run into is uh, <coughs> it depends whether you're using an SBL one or a homebrew double balance mixer, and, and mm-hmm. the issue is signal level. Uh, I found too yeah. that you can dump SI fifty three fifty one right into an SBL one. And you you have enough signal level to do all the conversions you need to do. I did find on the homebrew that was not the case, and that's yeah. the infinis- inefficiency of the design. You needed a little more juice to make that work. So, someone that's homebrewing their own double balanced mixers may find they need a booster amp after that. I didn't find it. You didn't find it with using the SBL one. So, it yeah, I, I like that.
0: Yeah. I like the SBL ones too. I mean, I I, you know I've I've done 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 it both ways with the homebrew diode balanced ring mixers and it's uh, you know diode ring mixers. I think it's it's fun to do that because you learn a lot. But I also like the SBL one. It's a nice little can. Everything is done precisely and it's neat. Everything else. So I've uh, I've gone kind of gone both ways with with that. And uh, yeah, it seems fine. Also. No, the thing, the whole process doesn't seem to generate a whole lot of noise. It seems to work really, really nicely. So, three cheers for the SI fifty three fifty one. Hey, speaking of noise, though, I I got a, I I got a couple of dumb, (laughs) dumb things that I did here. When I did first go out on forty meters with this thing a few nights ago, a guy came back to me, and I knew that I was going to be in trouble because the first thing he told me was, "Well, the rig here is a Flex six five thousand or whatever." I didn't tell him I was running homebrew, but he, he said to me, but you know, he says, I'm, I'm hearing some, some AC hum on your signal. Hmm, that's unusual. So, you know, okay, I thanked him for it, and I said I'd check into it. And I started poking around, and what I did is I just uh, I got a little receiver, and I just, just kind of hit the push to talk and listened without modulating. And sure enough, I could hear some AC hum in there this is weird because I'd never had this problem before with the bit axes. So what, what, what the heck's going on? I briefly thought it might have been noise being generated by the SI5351 because that's the only thing really different here. Um, but I poked around, poked around, and, and then I realized, nope, it was, it was coming in through the mic amp because if I would ground, as I was listening, if I would ground the input to the mic amp, the, the hum would disappear. So I'm thinking, what is this? What's going on? And then as I'm looking at it, I realize i built a little shelf that I have the, uh, the Bidex rigs on. And the, uh, the power supply, the little 12 volt power supplies that I use was directly under the rig. Wait, directly under the mic amp, right? And they've got transformers in there, right? So no matter, all that copper shielding, that's good for, for, for voltage shielding, but it's not going to stop the magnetic field. So the magnetic field from that transformer was just going directly up into the circuitry of the mic amp, and sure enough, that's going to produce it. So I reached under, and I just pushed the the power supply back further on the shelf, further away from the mic amp circuitry, and as I did it, I could hear the, the AC hum just disappear.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So sometimes things are just a matter of layout and where things are placed.
1: You know, it's interesting, because we've virtually all seen that um, about i don't know six seven years ago i discovered i was having that problem with an astron you, even though the astron had a metal case on it supposedly yeah. shield the magnetic you get near that thing you could you could pick it up so i, I came up with a uh, device that's uh, like the anderson power pole I, I i just came up with it so it's a distribution thing that separates the dc power supply by about six feet mm-hmm. so then i have a distribution panel that goes into the power supply and that six foot just you never never see any AC hum, but I it was like two feet away, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and you found if you moved the radio ninety degrees, it would go away. It was unreceived. you could hear it unreceived. Just move the uh-huh. radio, and it would go away. So that, that's a very common problem. As a matter of fact, well, Allison yeah. mentioned that in one of her emails to you. Say, hey, make sure your power supply is not.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I you know I had a similar problem with the um you know with the the rotor controller on the, on the bid X 17, when I had the rotor controller close to the rig, things would, it would take off on me. And I was trying to figure out where the, where the feedback was coming from. And it was coming back through the, uh, uh, through the rotor control wire from the antenna. And all those coils in the motor of the rotor controller were just linking into the, into the circuitry of the bid X 17. And I moved the thing about a foot away and it, and the problem was gone. So these are things you have to watch out for. Um, Uh, One other thing I wanted to say, I mentioned uh, about hooking up the little uh, transformer, the little transmatch to get the SWR down. This is a real kind of lazy solution because one of the other options was actually to go out and fix the (laughs) antenna. (laughs) But that would involve going out in the heat and throwing wires up into the trees. yes, on a ladder. And (laughs) and all that kind of stuff. So out came the transmatch and we took care of that. Well, you know,
1: there's a good reason for that, too. Uh, If you've not installed any feedback circuit on your EB63, you yeah. have a situation you smoke your transistors in there. So it's, I know. it's a really good idea you get the transmatch so that, that your amplifier that. is lo- looking at 50 ohms.
0: I can brag, too, that now that the SWR is one-to-one.
1: Mm,
0: yeah. Even though it doesn't change anything, because the situation on the feed line and the antenna is exactly yeah, the same. Yeah, but in the Does
1: shack. That- in the shack. <laughs>
0: Hey, I, I got a piece of advice from a guy, and I guess this moves us kind of into the mailbag, or uh, This portion of the show, uh, but but I heard I was talking to one of the guys I was talking to last night um, it was a relatively uh, a new ham, but he was he was talking about how much fun he's been having, and he said something that I thought I'd mention on the show. He said that he had gone out and and built his first antenna, and it was just a dipole, and he realized that this wasn't really a great feat of engineering. But he said, "You know, I really think that all new hams should just do this. Just go out and get the coax and figure out how to do it. Get the center insulator, measure the dimensions, measure the endpoints, get the thing up in the air." And I, I just the way he, he just was so enthusiastic about it. I mean, those of us who've been doing this for decades look at this as almost like a completely trivial thing. But I, I just want to mention anybody out there who's new, who's sort of like fooling around with the. Uh, uh, the Michigan Mighty Mike Might kind of projects. In the antenna realm, now that we're in summertime in the northern hemisphere, yeah, build a dipole. I mean, make the antenna. You'll be amazed. People, people think you have to have some big expensive collection of aluminum up in the air. No, uh, a, a dipole, well placed, high enough above the ground, properly tuned, You'll work the world with that thing, and you'll have a sense of accomplishment. You will have built an important part of the station. It's not quite as satisfying as building the rig, but it's it's in the same sort of ballpark. So if you, if you haven't built an antenna, get some wire, buy some coax, get some open wire feed line better. This guy actually made the open wire feed line. That was cool. Ooh. And uh, and, uh, and build an antenna. So there you go. That's some, there's some building advice.
1: Well, you, you know, Bill, um, I, I'd like to just... Put my two cents worth in here is first of this is a good good project to develop a process. What I mean by process is you collect information, put put it in a file on your computer. Get a notebook, your marble notebook that you mentioned a couple of podcasts back. Uh, look at the dimensions. Uh, you can download Easy Neck the demo version, yeah. and and uh. you can try different. You know the thing that's nice about Easy Neck is. You can try configurations where they're climbing up and down the ladder. (laughs) You know, you could just say, okay, this looks like it'll work, and you you do it once or twice. But but it's the process that you're going through is collecting the information, doing the analysis, understanding what's going on, and it's simple enough because there's just a few components that are involved, and you learn a lot about it. And so, uh, I mean, I I think that's really, really important. That's probably really the best place to start because most people – start out with some sort of piece of commercial equipment versus homebrew and then drift into homebrew so you want to maximize and, and you know I, I think about that guy with the attic antenna just a piece of wire in the attic and he goes out and buys a $12,000 icon and didn't make any more contacts I mean that guy should have <laughs> focused on the antenna not the radio
0: that's right Yeah, yeah Hey, uh, any mail? You wanted to mention some mail. We already talked a little bit about some of the, uh, the, the input. Any, anything else in the mailbox from you? Well,
1: I just that, uh, uh, you know, it's great that we get the mail because then that gives us some feel of uh, how we're doing. Like, I, I do appreciate now that I know it's Bell Thorne. <laughs> Not Belton. Okay. It's important. <laughs>
0: uh, well, we got we got some good mail too. I mean, a, a lot of the stuff that comes in is really inspirational, I, and, and the, the, the the nice ones. I if it's something I think that everybody could use, I'll put it up on the blog. And Harb sent in some good thoughts about his um, uh, W A three E I B. He sent in uh, um, some thoughts on homebrew homebrew philosophy that I thought was was really. Uh, you know, um, encouraging, worthwhile, and worth repeating. So I put that up on the blog. Hey, I got an email from a. I mentioned him before. W eight N nsaal uh, L seven R V. Uh, he I had sent the, He had sent me so much good stuff over the years that he mentioned that he had a a, a Zenith Transoceanic that he used to like to listen to. Actually, he had. A, I think it might have been the Zenith Transoceanic that he had with him in Vietnam. Wow. Um, and he told me that the, his one. Now, a regret with the transoceanic is it didn't have a BFO, so he couldn't listen to sideband and CW. So I I, I went and in the junk box I whipped together uh, a 455 KC oscillator. There you go. And, and I put it in a little box and I sent it to him. And I didn't I didn't know whether he ever used it or not. And he wrote me an email. This was like three years ago. And he wrote me an email and he said, Hey, he says I got some questions about your engineering design skills. Because after three years of nightly nightly use, I had to change that nine volt battery in there. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez! And I said, well, 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 you know, I said, I'm sorry, I'm only an amateur engineer, yeah, okay? Yeah, so yeah. I should have, you know, optimized the uh, the current flow there a little bit better. But I was really pleased that Jim is is using that little oscillator to listen to the transoceanic, and that's sort of like the uh, kind of the kind of the international brotherhood. There's an old radio that was with him. In, on the other side of the planet, you know, and now he's using it to listen to, to CW with the little solid-state, uh, you know, 455 kC oscillator. Ah, good stuff. I'm glad you're still using it, Jim. And uh, yeah, hey, uh, even
1: though you had to change the battery.
0: Even though know, had to change the battery.
1: <laughs> hey, you know, mentioning about radios in Vietnam, I have fond memories of 50 years ago down at the beach Chu Chulai, south of Da Nang, We had ANPRC forty sevens, which are which is a Collins single sideband transceiver, twenty watts. The only thing is, it uh, stops at I think eleven or twelve megahertz in its upper sideband only. So it would work fine on CW, but you try to listen to the forty meter band (laughs) and and it was the wrong sideband. You know, talk talk about a sense of frustration. I say, man, if we only had. You know, we could, we could operate from here if we wanted to. No, who, who, who was going to go after us? But uh, you, you, you triggered a memory there, Bill.
0: You, trigger, you triggered another <laughs> one. I was, at, I was at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, going through Special Forces School. And they had us out with this backpack radio and PRC. I'm, I forget what it was. But we had to go out and we had to make the contact and then move on. And I said, wait a second. And I realized that the frequency they had us on was very close to the 40-meter band. So I took that thing. I guess the statute of limitations has <laughs> expired. And I swung the dial up to like 7040. And I put that key. They were amazed. You they leg know key. Leg it. Key. At the leg key. The leg key, I called cq on forty from the Uari National Forest. And a guy answered. <laughs> there you go. We had been in the woods yeah. for a long time, so all I asked him to do, I, I sent him my my parents' phone number and said, call them and tell them I'm doing fine. <laughs> and I was So I actually made a a, a, a CW contact. Yeah, I used the military rig. I'm sure they'd lock me up or something for yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while, yeah. so I, I think we're okay. All right. Hey, listen. Well, final. I guess the final thing to talk about here, and I guess this is a good way to wrap up. I don't know. What does your shack look like? when you finish a project, when you get to the point where the trans... Are you one of these folks who keeps the the shack neat throughout? Because i got to tell you, when I come to the end of a project, I look around the shack, and it looks like there was some sort of electronic bar fight in here. There's parts and bits of wire and tape and solder globs and papers and banana peels and all kinds of other junk. I really have to say, okay, I have to take a cup an hour or so just to kind of excavate and organize because I don't do that when I'm in the course of the project. Yeah, is this,
1: same story here. Does this here? sound familiar? I, I was working yesterday. I was cleaning up <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And I was cleaning up only so I could get enough space to work on the box. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I'm, yeah, I think this is a, a pretty common thing. I am reminded of the, uh, the QRP book by NA5N. And on the front cover, he has this really picture of this really pristine workbench with the rig and the test gear and the box of parts and the schematic, and everything is very antiseptic. It looks like something out of a NASA clean room. And then if you look on the back, the back cover, it's the same picture, but like real world.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: it, yeah. It's, it's considerably less uh, yeah, NASA-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pete, I think it's time for us to go. I got I got things to take care of. I know you do too, and we're we're approaching the uh, the overtime period here. But uh, but thanks very much for getting up so early. You
1: bet. My pleasure.
0: Enjoyed it. Thanks for all your help on the project, and on to the next one.
1: Yeah. Hey, let me know if you get a box today. I'll see. <laughs> Seven <laughs> yeah. from the left coast.
0: All right, Bellthorn.
1: Bellthorn.
0: Bellthorn, Thorn. Yeah,
1: not yeah. Bellthorn. Bellthorn.
0: There you go.
1: 773 from Northern Virginia. Thanks a lot, Pete. You bet. Bye-bye. Ooh, that's
0: awesome. The Solder Smoke podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page in this way Sodersmoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon buy some of our attractive Sodersmoke t-shirts coffee mugs and bumper stickers at the Sodersmoke store at CafePress.com if you have a small business Consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi
1: ragazzi!